HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Kiva, a Greenhorns partner and nonprofit that has helped hundreds of farmers raise over $2 million in microloans, all without charging any interest or fees. Find out more at us.kiva.org slash greenhorns. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, and it is almost Christmas, which means it's almost time to think about buying the new farmer's almanac. So to celebrate, we have uh, one of our wonderful and esteemed almanac contributors and legend in his own right on many fronts, um, all the way from New Hampshire, Dorn Cox. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Severin. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to be with you digitally. Um, I wonder if you could just go straight into introducing yourself, your farm, um, and the many projects that you're a part of. <laughs> I don't want to take too, uh, too much time with that, but uh, sure. Um, so, yes, uh, our, I'm a farmer. Uh, our family farm is uh, uh, certified organic. Uh, we have over about 100 products that we uh, sell from the farm. Uh, we're a part of a cooperative with about six other farms that primarily sells uh, almost all of the products that we sell are direct marketed um, to restaurants and uh, to stores directly from the farm. Um, I think we're uh, sending uh, products now to about 85 restaurants, um, and uh, so huge, huge diversity. Um, I've been 
particularly, I, I describe myself as an agriculturalist uh, because I've also been quite involved in a lot of agricultural research and in uh, the, the role of agriculture in our community in general, uh, and have been involved most recently with uh, a lot of the national soil health uh, uh, movements, uh, including the establishment of the Soil Health Institute um, and uh, the division, USDA Division of Soil Health, and we've been doing some really fun partnerships with a lot of the new soil health work that's going on to develop farmer networks to uh, improve soil-based carbon capture. And, uh, and another passion of mine is uh, the exchange of agricultural knowledge and facilitating uh, the, the uh, exchange of both information and inspiration from farmer to farmer and sort of that direct process um, and uh, Developing tools and cultures that uh, that uh, help uh, facilitate that uh, that exchange, which I think is uh, one of the most important uh, aspects of uh, of uh, democratic a thriving democratic community. So, people don't really think about New Hampshire as a place for grain. Can you talk about? Um like your kind of landscape vision for how a food sovereign New England does an evaluation of its terrain and what the social and technological processes are that um, can empower growers um, in the region. Yeah, it's maybe interesting you can talk about farm health. Yeah, there's a. <coughs> pardon me, I'm a little under the weather. Um, the uh, there's. Uh, uh, the group called Food Solutions New England is actually putting together a vision for 50% uh, food uh, uh, sovereignty by 2060, and uh, and that's uh, gotten uh, uh, quite a bit of traction across the New England states. So, at, uh, New Hampshire, for example, right now produces less than 5% of its own own food, and a lot of what we've been involved in in doing is is looking at not not just uh, the uh, you know not just extrapolating sort of what has historically been done, but looking at what can be done based on our climate and soils, uh, and understanding that uh, a lot of uh, what is produced agriculturally has very little to do with our natural resource base, and much more to do with our inherited culture associated with the agriculture that uh, has taken place. So, <clears throat> one of the things that we've we've uh, pioneered in our little area of New Hampshire has been uh, the production of grains and oil seeds, uh, but in a different way in that uh, we've focused less on, you often think about uh, those kinds of commodity crops as commodity crops uh, rather than as important pieces of a, uh, uh, a closed-loop system. So, for example, when we're growing sunflower and creating oil, we're also producing a high-protein meal, um, which can be fed uh, directly on farm. Um, and so a lot of what we're talking about with the moving, shifting the scale of a lot of what we think of as big agriculture down to the community level or farm level and sharing the technology to make that, uh, uh, that possible. So that allows us to really shift our vision as far as what New England can do and what we're able to do as farmers and what we can do uh, as uh, small farm cooperatives. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now in in dairy as well. But to, that 
that we get a lot, we do better as farmers when we are able as a community to, to uh, control more of our means of production. So that tighter supply chain that we've seen with uh, sort of know your farmer sort of idea and what CSAs has started to do, but really extending that to many, many, to the full value sort of food chain rather than just fruits and veggies. Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of uh, promise of that, um, but as uh, as as you well know, a lot of the technology that is uh, that's appropriately scaled for that community and on-farm uh, value-added production and processing and so forth uh, has not uh, been developed to support uh, that that scale. So we're uh, a, a lot of what our our, our farm involved uh, is involved with, as well as uh, networks of other farms uh, from around the country and around the world, has been to uh, share the technologies that make things like small-scale grain production and oilseed production uh, feasible and profitable. So let's talk a little bit about um, what some of those technologies are, and maybe you could talk about Farmer OS, uh, Farm OS. Sorry, not Farmer OS. Um, I mean, I'm happy to give a little summary if you need a break in your breath of some of the <laughs> tools that are featured at the top of the Farm Hack page and that, can, that are compelling to growing numbers of people working together on a digital kind of a partnership in an open source kind of way to improve on the tools and make the potential uh, gains associated with these appropriate tools shared by many, even if they're cooked up by one or two people. Um, do you want to talk about how you fell into an open source way of working with your biofuel and how that's translated into a way of operating in the world? Yeah. Um, no, I was, I, mean, I, I was familiar with the idea of open source software and uh, the, uh, the power of uh, of the, the concept translated to hardware through, through the introduction uh, as an introduction through uh, early biodiesel production. Um, there was a, an evangelist, uh, open source evangelist, going around the country uh, by the name of uh, Mark Alviart or Girl Mark, um, and she uh, was very clear that uh, it was part of part of uh, the way in which we can more rapidly create tools that we actually want to use ourselves was by sharing the designs. And that uh, by trying to work towards a uh, a, a uh, pattern of protection of that knowledge would really slow down uh, our capacity to, to create something that's actually useful, uh, and it could be decades instead of uh, really years to create something. And so that community, in a in a matter of uh, really months, I saw you know it was months or six months or a year, saw incredible uh, breakthroughs of. Uh, scaling down industrial technology to the home and farm scale or community scale. And that really sort of uh, was kind of an aha moment and said, well, why aren't we doing this with all of our agricultural technology? <coughs> and it was, in fact, I think a conversation with you, Severin, that, you know, where, where we started to explore and realize that, oh, this actually is part of our agrarian history, that it's only been in recent years that, that agricultural knowledge has been actively, you know, protected with current intellectual property laws. And, uh, well, let's not even say protected. Let's say enclosed. Or enclosed, exactly. 
um, much much more accurate. Um, and so, uh, so um, from that moment on, uh, it, it's been really clear, and we've reaped the benefits from this approach on our farm. I, I think most of what we do has been has benefited directly. Most of the decisions we make have been benefit benefited directly by open knowledge sharing from other farmers from around around uh, the state, around the region, around the globe. Um, and, uh, and again, we, we share our lineage right for that project right back to uh, the Enlightenment uh, agrarians. Um, but, we're, uh, so, but what we're doing right now is actually trying to extend that knowledge sharing process beyond just farmer to farmer and be able to provide some level of transparency between farmers and our general public. And so the FarmOS software platform uh, is, uh, is sort of the, the result of that work. Um, and so that's, that's a unifying sort of farm record-keeping system that is useful for managing a lot of the complex, uh, diverse biological systems that we're doing on-farm. Uh, but also, and, and it also keeps your own farm data secure uh, and um, and owned by the farmer, which is important. But also, and I think this is key, makes that that uh, those on-farm observations and those records very easy to share. Uh, and but that process is controlled by the farmer. And I think that's a really big distinction. Uh, with ha what we've seen with uh, big data approaches uh, from the, the large agribusiness companies, which have uh, you know certainly rubbed a lot of farmers the wrong way by <coughs> collecting data from farms and not compensating them uh, for it, and uh, and controlling uh, the the, uh, the data. Um, we we also see that uh, there's been a revolution in observation technology that has enabled us to start to understand some of these more complex biological systems and uh, embrace more diversity in our farms and understand that better. So looking deeper into the soils, understanding the soil-plant atmospheric interactions better. And this has been, this has a huge impact in our larger sort of farm relationship to the community because that, when we start to quantify that and document that uh, practices that result in better soil health, better water quality, better air quality, and that has a direct value to all of the people uh, who are downstream in the food shed from the farm. So, um, and we've seen that especially in uh, in our water systems and water quality in in the Northeast, um, and that uh, giving and so being able to use a program like Farm OS to quantify the environmental services that the farm provides uh, is, I think, a very important uh, piece of valuing what uh, the uh, agricultural producer is doing beyond just pro providing uh, calories uh, for the plate and certainly at the at, and sending wholesale food down the <laughs> down the uh, onto the truck and off the farm. So I think it's a so. Um I just wanted to uh, take the history back even further and tell you something I just learned this week, which is that within the Polynesian trading traditions, um, there were explicitly patterns, um, like star-shaped patterns, 
of trade established between islands that were deliberately not kind of always from the same port to the same port uh, in order to do a better job of sharing genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of a fun star-shaped story. But yeah, let's no, talk about the world I think in which you're the, situating. Wait, wait, I, mean, I, I think have, the genetic. I have a second point. I have a second point. What's that? Which is that the you're talking about valuing ecological services and having adequate documentation in order to be able to demonstrate land repair and land restoration. And I feel like um, what's implicit in that in that work is an understanding that this is the value that is being created by the agrarian and by the land manager, and that in a coming economy that that value will be valued. Um, and I wonder if you could kind of extrapolate a little bit about what that might look like. What You know, will there be a bounty for land repair, or how do you see that kind of working? Yeah, well, I mean, and I think the, the key there is that that there is this, as you said, this underlying assumption that land can be repaired by the agrarian, which I think is a really important shift in our cultural understanding of agriculture and a shift back to, uh, again, the agrarian roots rather than an industrial approach, which is basically input-based agriculture. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think that's what the, the Farm OS the system is about, is uh, knowledge sharing about how to do that best uh, and document it and make results transferable from what we do in New Hampshire to what works in California or Florida or India or Argentina or Australia that we can we can find that a lot of as as much as growing zones change as much as the soil conditions change there are aspects that are universal um, and we may be able to mix and match and I think your Polynesian example of cross pollination is central to this is that we create more uh, robust uh, systems of agriculture when we can get that hybrid vigor, not just of our genetics, but also the genetics of our ideas, uh, and we can move faster if we can transmit uh, those uh, those systems, those ideas of how to make a bag, uh, how to capture uh, carbon, abundant carbon from the atmosphere, and put it into the soil where it's productive and can uh, in. <clears throat> create the positive feedback loop of land restoration, of you know increased water. Well, capacity, it's, it's uh, looking forward as this looking forward in this policy uh, climate that we're entering with um, all the all the environmental organizations that I'm listening to are screaming about deregulation and privatization, increased drilling, um, and just kind of unchecked, you know. Uh, it's a great time for applied work. Let's just say that. Yeah, and I'm wondering yes. if, so, if that what what might happen, and you know how if we're in the new farmers almanac, a big part of the project is uh, helping new agrarians situate their work and think out loud together, learning together about the ways that we can deepen and broaden and collaborate uh, more profoundly. I wonder if you could just reflect on um, your own motivations and some of what you talked about in your essay. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the, the essay I contributed was called An Agriculturalist's Hippocratic Oath, uh, which was taking the concept uh, that, uh, uh, that 
uh, sort of the medical version and translating in to, uh, into agriculturalist terms um, and asking the question if uh, doctors are asked to take this oath of sort of public care, uh, why not other professions and why not especially uh, the agriculturalists who who are uh, responsible for the <coughs> for so much of the health of the community and and to invest some the with the oath the importance that uh, the agriculturalists play in creating that uh, changing economy and changing culture and system sounds like a good plan especially um, pardon me i'm going to have to just one second well it's a you know it's an interesting moment because bayer crop science which started as a drug company and a chemical company is now purchased monsanto which is started as a chemical company and became a seed company so actually the hippocratic oath makes a lot of sense um when such a great percentage of our landscape has now been chemically altered by um, companies who started in industry and started in pharmaceuticals. Yes. It's actually pretty fitting. Yeah, to bring this back and hold them to public account. I mean, I think that's the point of the oath, is to, uh, is that, is to bring it back and to have it be administered publicly so people can can be held account, even if not legally, socially, at some level. Um, and, I, 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 and I was shocked when I started to look into it that, you know, people think that it was, oh, just do no harm. But when you look back, that a lot of the elements have much more to do with, uh, of the uh, medical version, have much more to do with, uh, with uh, treating uh, the system of the people as uh, as from a holistic perspective and uh, being humble with uh, what you know and what you don't know and that you are contributing to a global uh, knowledge commons uh, and a fellowship of, of other uh, professionals that are working together to advance our total understanding. And so it seemed also there that there were many, many parallels um, as far as what we were, what, what, where there seemed to be a need um, in the next stage, stage of uh, of uh, uh, agricultural uh, land uh, regeneration, um, and, I, and, and I also think that we're we're seeing a parallel uh, in the in the healthcare industry to recognize that from a chemical perspective, uh, you know, moving you know beyond the chemical paradigm, even in human health, and understanding again the, sort of the, the meta organism level of human health that uh, ties right down to the uh, microbial systems uh, uh, in, in our, you know, from our, from our gut to the soil to the rumen of the cow, uh, et cetera, that there are some, that, these, that, that, that those paradigms uh, are more universal and our care for that living system uh, is, again, more universal than I think uh, our chemical So the, the whole, what, what Donna Haraway calls the holobiont or the microbiome, yeah. Right of the of the of the sick person, especially as we're ever, as everybody not everybody but many people are dealing with immune uh, immune issues, immunity right. issues, Lyme disease and uh, leaky gut and all sorts of other immune uh, Crohn's disease, etc. 
these are kind of hard to treat in con- with conventional medicine, and so all sorts of people are going more holistic. Yeah, and, and so what we're seeing at the soil health level, which is to me just fascinating that we've made the transition from being treated as a very fringe to even use the term health and soil, uh, to now it, having a White House directive uh, a few weeks ago that includes the word soil health. So, I mean, it is really, in just a few years, the concept of living soil has really made a huge uh, cultural sort of, there's been a huge cultural shift in acceptance for that, that notion. And I think that's just like the idea that land can be, uh, soil can be grown. Uh, I think that's another a big cultural shift that enables us to then recognize that this is one of our great uh, commons that we're that we have a joint effort as a, you know that goes beyond our our it's a human effort essentially agriculture is a, is a shared human endeavor and that uh, the way in which we can express our success is through the improved productivity of our soils and therefore. Uh, if we have that shared endeavor, then why would we not share our best practices and and put our our efforts to understand those systems and share how those systems work and develop the best tools so that every farmer on earth has access to not just the best knowledge but then the best tools to make their farms the best um, and what i love i've heard again more people talking about this we had Sally Rocky uh, with the, the new Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, who's talking about the importance of pre-competitive space, which is this idea that competition is fine, but what we're talking about here is collaboration on this shared human endeavor. And we want, if we want to achieve the best results, uh, this is a mutual. Uh, you know, it, this is a. Again, we're not going to. We're not going to achieve the best results. If we have a few people, you know, special people in special places who have isolated knowledge, the goal here is that every farmer, every citizen has access to the most amount of knowledge about these systems uh, that are are really uh, the the foundation for a regenerative economy rather than an extractive economy. Well, just to tie it back to Benjamin Franklin, who is, um, as everyone knows, the editor of the first Old Farmer's Almanac. Um, he was also the discoverer, not the discoverer, but he was the first formal documentarian of the uh, Gulf Stream. And um, he learned about it because the English ships were slower than the Rhode Island ships in delivering the mail um, over. He was the postmaster general of the colonies. And he went out and asked the whale, the whalers, why are the English ships slower? And they said, well, because they ignored our good advice, which what we learned from tracking the fish, where we went in and out of this current. And uh-huh. Benjamin Franklin had the whaler draw a picture, um, draw a picture of the Gulf Stream, which Benjamin Franklin then published um, well, for the benefit of all. Well, also well known for advocating for open knowledge exchange and as, as uh, uh, you know, his Franklin stove uh, was, you know, he made the designs open, didn't try to protect his design or enclose his design. Uh, and then the person who refined it, uh, who actually made it work better, uh, was able to was was able to use that, uh, and so he got a, a much better stove, much quicker. Um, so, it, and I think it's, I I, I I feel that what we're doing with 
the, the, the development of the Internet has awakened uh, essentially a lot of those Enlightenment themes that uh, were hidden uh, through the extractive phase of Industrial Revolution that were just we're just on the edge of being able to understand that, and I think that's part of the reason we we look back to a lot of those Enlightenment thinkers like uh, like Benjamin Franklin. So, um, if if people are interested to learn about the emergent commons in the minds of people like Dorn and others who are thinking about cultural spaces that are essentially reconstituted commons or the beginnings of commons, emerged commons, um, places for collaboration on topics that haven't even really moved that far yet along um, on my agricultural very big broad and strong coalition working. Um, please do order the almanac which you can do on the Greenhorns website. We have a contributor to the next one, um, which we do because it's a lot of work. Um, any last? Uh, no, I, I just, uh, it's been, been a real pleasure to be able to talk about this uh, subject with your audience. It's uh, something that I think is, is uh, um, uh, I, I think very uh, current and relevant, uh, given our our uh, political uh, shifts, and uh, can, I, I hope uh, can be empowering. Um, that uh, in in terms of uh, democratizing the means of production and uh, developing the tools to be able to exchange that uh, through uh, our own means of uh, communicating through more decentralized uh, approaches of knowledge exchange. It's, a, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Oh,